Church, David, when you said take the place of an internationally, my dad would have enjoyed that introduction very much. <laughs> my mom would have believed it. <laughs> uh, you know, um, nobody is going to replace Wayne Gordon, and we want him to come back again. And there's a reason we want him to come back because he is the master at bringing us into an understanding of what it means to address true poverty. Having said that, uh, somebody needed to step up this weekend, and so I said uh, to David, maybe there's some things that we've learned from Luke that we could just... um, How many have been here during the past four months as Mike has been racing through the first two chapters of Luke? (laughs) He, uh, he's been going at such a blistering pace that I thought to myself, we better slow down just a little bit. So there's a few things that I just want to maybe give us some oversight on. And so uh, here's some things that might uh, make some sense to you as they've made some sense to me as I've been enlightened as we've opened these couple of chapters of Luke. Luke, uh, the series has given us an opportunity to be reminded of what God has called us to do, both as individuals and as a church. He's called us to bring hope, the hope of the good news of Jesus Christ, of a reconciler with a mankind that needs reconciliation with a holy God. He's called us to bring that good news to our community, and he's called us to bring that good news to the world. And I want to suggest that we are here for such a time as this. It's not by chance that we were born. It's not by chance that we live here. It's not by chance that we work in the places that we work or that we live in the neighborhoods that we live in, whether you're in the food service industry or the IT industry or the entertainment industry or if you're a lawyer or uh, an educator or a consultant. God has you a professional at any sort of, uh, including being a stay-at-home mom. Maybe the most important thing that you're doing is caretaking for elderly parents or for someone who will never be able to repay you. But God has you here. God has us here for a certain uh, reason, and, uh, and so we want to pay attention to that. In addition, God has us in the proximity that he has us. He has us right very close to Trinity and to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Might we lean into that? Might there be some divinity students or some undergrads that we need to pay attention to, to nurture them, to encourage them, to strengthen them when they're away from home? In many cases, when they're away from 
um, friends and family and even language that they might know. God has Lake Forest College um, right in our backyard. God has graciously gifted us with North Chicago, an opportunity for us to um, exercise gifts and be blessed in being a part of that community as well. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, David is actually moving to North Chicago. And he's going to talk about that next week at some level because he has a conviction that in addition to um, us as a church going there and serving, that we really need to say, I want to know that community, I want to be responsible for that community, I want to love that community, and what better way what, you know, than to lay down your life, so to speak. So um, David's not going alone. There's a number of others who have said, I'm going to relocate my life into North Chicago because I care about the gospel being advanced there. And there's no implication that the gospel isn't there. That's not the, the point. But there are some realities that there is need for hope and good news in that neighborhood as well as ours, and so David's going to intentionally do that. If you'll open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible, if you want to just pull out the one right in front of you, uh, Luke uh, chapter 1 is on page 1013 of the Bibles in front of us. We're not going to have any PowerPoints um, this morning, so I want to introduce us to some things that um, are important for us to study as we study the, the, the past uh, uh, couple of, I guess, four months or so, we've been introduced to some characters. We've been introduced to Luke. We've inter- been introduced to this guy named Theophilus. We've been introduced to a married couple, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. We've inter- been introduced to Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've been introduced to the person of the Holy Spirit. And uh, most certainly we've been introduced to Jesus Christ himself during the course of the reading. As we read, I want to pay attention to these things. God's love and his special anointing for the people, including the poor, maybe especially the poor. God's ability to overcome hopelessness. God's delight in giving people second chances and how that might apply to our lives. Mike has talked about turning points. For many of you, you were here when he gave the illustration of the turning points in his life. And he has challenged us to say, are there some turning points, are there some questions that we need to ask ourselves as it relates to course adjustments? For some of us, it's, you know, a a 5 or 10 or 15 degree course adjustment. For some of us, it may be um, maybe 180 degrees. Maybe you're going this direction and there will be some point in your life where you say, you know what, I need, to, I need to radically shift everything about my life. Let's open up uh, Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read uh, some of that here for us right now. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many of us, excuse me, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Luke is writing and he says, many have already done this. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, therefore, since I, Luke, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Are there things in your life that aren't in order? 
Is there chaos in your life? Are there horizontal places in your life that are just consistently disordered? Is your car disordered? Are there relationships? God is a God of order. Luke says it's important that I write an orderly account. He's appealing to Theophilus that in an orderly account, Theophilus might be able to stand firm in his faith. It seemed good to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. Mike introduced Theophilus to us, and he told us that that name, Theo, God, the study of God, Phileo, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, a God lover. Theophilus is a God lover. On Judgment Day, let me ask you just by show of hands, how many of you want to be known as a God lover? If we were to look back over the course of this last week, would, would the evidences of your life indicate that you were a God lover? sure it's here at some level, but is it in the expressions with your spouse, with your children, with your neighbors, with those that you work with or for? Not overtly in their face, but that there's something about the aroma about you, that you, you are a God lover, that there's something fragrant about you. Verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. We've been introduced to Luke and Theophilus. Luke, we want to capture that whole concept of order. Theophilus, we want to capture that concept. We want our lives to be evidenced with um, the fact that we love God. Verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, uh, Judea, excuse me, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. I don't know about you, when I get to words like that that are unfamiliar, I'm always really uncomfortable saying them. I hope I got it right. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. I want to read verse 6 again. Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So these are good people. These are really good people. They feared God. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Can you imagine the, the silence, the sadness, some of the wrestling with that and maybe even as Mike suggested maybe there were some people who were unkind or uh, maybe cast judgment or reality on, on that desire that they may have wanted children. Some of you are intimately familiar with that. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty verse 8 says he was serving as priest before God he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, 
all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Do you think you'd be gripped with fear if you saw an angel? (laughs) I would be. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. So even though they had not had children, they were faithful. It's evidence that they they were faithful in continuing to ask God. Interesting to think about. Are there things that when there's no evidence whatsoever of fruit that we just give up? There's some people in my life that I don't see any evidence that they're going to come to the Lord. And so if I'm completely honest, I don't fight in the spiritual realm for them. I don't fight for their eternity. If I learned that they died, I'd be very, very distraught at some level. You know what I'm saying? They gave evidence that they continued to fight in the spirit, that they continued to pray. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will uh, give him the name John. Verse 14. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never, uh, he's never to take wine or other ferment to drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Note that in verse 15. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's their son. His name's going to be John. We call him John the Baptist. Even from his birth, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, many of the people of Israel uh, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Skip down to verse 18, if you would. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. How often when God shows up, how often do we typically have a questioning attitude? How do I know this is going to happen? Yeah, I got a good report today, but I'm going to continue to worry because who knows about tomorrow. How often is our heart hardened or caustic in such a way that we, we have that kind of Zechariah spirit about us? That How do I know this is going to be true? We know about Elizabeth that she, we're told, she rejoiced over the fact that she was going to have a child, right? Do we, like Zechariah, need to repent? Zechariah, it wasn't evidence that he repented right then, but do we need to repent of that kind of caustic attitude? Or do we need to intercede for someone like Elizabeth, who is barren, who is discouraged, potentially, desperate, maybe in some despair? Do we need to come alongside someone like that? And is there someone in your life right now, like Elizabeth, 
someone who you could come and offer a drink of cool water, offer some encouragement, offer just the gift of your presence in their lives in such a manner that God would be pleased with that and you'd probably be encouraged by that. I just We're not going to close the service right now, but I just want to take just a moment to pray. And I'm going to pray for God for repentance that sometimes we come with an attitude like Zechariah that's just not pleasing to God. Would you just bow with me? God, to the extent that sometimes we are filled with fear, anxiousness, um, acousticness in our, in our response, we're quick to just quip something off, often a judgmental spirit or in this case a, a, a questioning spirit. We just come before you and we repent of that. And we repent, God, that we are not vigorous in our prayer lives largely because we don't rest in the promises of you nearly as much as we should. We grow weary because we discount what you can do. God, you made it possible that this elderly couple was to have a child. You are the God of the impossible. So forgive us for any shortcomings that we have that would sell you short of all that you would have for us. And we pray that you would soften our hearts in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. God cares for the poor, not only the materially poor, but also the poor in spirit. Elizabeth was poor in spirit. We've met four people, Luke, Theophilus, Elizabeth, Zechariah. Now let's look at Mary. Turn your, uh, turn your attention, if you would, to uh, verse 26. In the sixth month, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the, Ab- the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. You're familiar with this story. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Is there anything better, men and women, is there anything better in the world than the withness of God? Here's my word picture. I don't know if this fits for you or not. Today and for all of eternity, we have the assurance, if we are believers, if we've asked Christ into our lives, we have the assurance of being with God forever, right? Picture you're a parent. Picture you're shopping. Picture you've got a four-year-old with you. Picture that you're in the clothes rack and somehow you're focused on some, some clothing article and you look down and your son or your daughter's not there. And you say, Joel, Joel, where are you? And, and, and you don't hear anything. And you say a little louder, Joel, Joel, where are you? And you don't, Joel! And all of a sudden your voice begins to raise and, and, and you're not concerned about what other people think because your son or your daughter is not there. And there begins to be some level of elevation, some level of press in that, right? You know, Joel, Joel! No, no response. You go to the manager and they shut down the store and there's a code, whatever the code is, and your child is not to be found. You know that feeling. 
separation from God. Take that feeling, however horrific that feeling is, and magnify it. The witness of God, the separation from God. Who do you know right now that you need to leverage a relationship, you need to leverage a, a meal, you need to have a courageous conversation, you need to figure out ways that you can have a conversation such that that is not their eternity. Because God has given all of us those people, right? For a reason. So let, let God does the calling. Don't, don't misunderstand me. God does the calling. God does the convicting. God does the compelling. But God will use us if we will step in faith, if we will open our mouths and share the love of Christ. Mostly, 99% of it is sharing love. Baking cookies, you heard in a testimony last week. Being there. Serving. And then when the door is open, he'll open the door. He'll open the door for us. What verse am I on? Mary was greatly troubled. I'm going to look at verse 29 uh, at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to the son. You are to give him a name, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. Go down to verse 38. Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So you've got this, as Mike has said, this uneducated 14-year-old, nowhere girl from nowheresville. God shows up in her life, and rather than like Zechariah, how do I know this is going to be true? She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you say. Did God assign Mary this incredible role by chance? No. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that although she was a nobody in the world's eyes, she was a somebody in his eyes. She had developed great character, and I will prove it to you. When you look at her response, when you look at what she says in the the Magnificat, she says these things. The master's in charge, verses 46 through 55. I'm going to summarize it for us. The master's in charge. He's He's the deliverer. He's the rescuer. He's the one who's aware of her situation. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is holy. He is merciful. She knew those things. She quoted scripture. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God would be God. And she had nothing, no anxiousness. She was able to rest in him. She didn't say, I'm just this poor little junior high girl. No, she didn't say, I don't have any money. I don't have a home established. I'm not able to provide him an education. She said this, pregnant? How? Really? Me? Okay. I'm not sure Joseph will marry me, but okay. I'm not sure my dad will let me stay in my house, but okay. 
I'm not sure, I'm not sure how my mom's going to bear the shame of this, but okay. I'm just a girl myself. I don't even know how I'm going to do it, but okay. She said yes. She said yes to the Lord. Her life's plan is completely disrupted, and she says yes. My question to us is this. When your life's plan gets completely disrupted in any number of ways, job turmoil. This was not a part of my plan. Housing markets that collapse. <laughs> this was not a part of our plan. We, we were planning to do something else. A health challenge. This was not a part of our plan in retirement. A relationship gone awry and you cannot make it work. This was not a part of our plan. Closer to home. A marriage that just is very difficult. This was not what we thought when we got into it. And yet, like Mary, do we say, God, I am your servant. I want to do my part to serve you. Mary was rooted in God. Her trust in him and her character places all things in their proper perspective. Looking to God provides hope, and she reminds us that focusing on God eliminates all of life's dilemmas. You focus on God, and you're going to have a very clear picture of what ought to do. How about you? Might there be some turning points? Might there be some things that you need to rest in like God, like Mary did in resting with God? Here's some things that he says in his word. Do we rest in these truths? His word says this, the very hairs of your head are numbered. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. Cast your cares upon him and he will care for you. You know, if we rest in those things for our lives, then it's easier for us to be open to that which God would have for us beyond ourselves. Mary rested in the truths of God in such a manner that she could, by God's grace and God's mercy, serve him. I wonder if the same is true for us. You know, we, uh, three and a half years ago, we had one of those deals where it wasn't a part of our plan that we were going to come to Christ Church, but it was a part of God's plan. And uh, it's been an interesting three and a half years. You know, one of my best friends on the planet died of esophageal cancer, 50. My mom died of a heart attack one Saturday. I wasn't planning on that, you know. All three of our kids have gone off to school. And so for those of you who've launched kids, there's some loss in that, right? You know, Christy's dad, who when we moved to uh, Illinois moved with us so we could caretake for him because he was at that stage in his life so he lived in our home he passed away in November and some of you will think it's trivial but it's not trivial to us we had to put our dog down uh, a few weeks ago there's been some loss and I'm privileged to talk with many of you you come into my office you ask me for coffee and the pain that I know in my life 
It's just a reflection of the pain that you have in your lives. I don't think that pain is by chance. I think that pain is assigned by God. Some of it's self-inflicted. I'm not foolish about that. But I want to encourage us that the pain, the questions, that which we have, I want to encourage us that God has given us that because there's poverty in that of our spirit that we can share the depths of poverty with others. Here's some things that we know about Jesus that are very important. He became poor. His mother was poor. He was born in a cow stall. He was dedicated with a poor offering. His parents didn't have the wealthy offering. He was dedicated with a poor offering. He was anointed to preach to the poor. This is what the word says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Do you know someone who's captive today? Do you know someone who's blind today? Blind to their arrogance? Blind to their sophistication? Blind to whatever they're putting their trust in? Are are you that person that Jesus has come to set free? He called for a passionate search for the poor. He says, go out at once into the streets and lanes in the cities and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Who do you know who's lame? Physically lame? Spiritually lame? Jesus Jesus came for them. He came for us. And he gives us pain. He gives us suffering that we might, in fact, pay attention to those who have needs as well. Why? Why did he present himself to us as one who was poor? The God who's wealthy beyond all imagination, why did he become poor? He became poor because he loves the poor, the poor in spirit. And we serve the poor because we have, because God has a special affection for the poor. God has intention towards the poor and God identifies with the poor. I want us to encourage one another this day to say, what is it, Lord, that I am poor in? For many of us, it may not be material poverty, but it may be time. I don't Sabbath God like I should. I need to reorient myself along those lines. I'm poor in my temper. I just don't have a long fuse, God. Would you change that? I'm poor in my trust of you. I got to do it all myself. I'm unwilling to rest in you. I'm poor in my relationships. I've got some relationships that need to be fixed. I'm poor in caring for the poor. I don't really know how to do that. I don't really have an affinity. I don't know how to get there. I don't know. I just, I don't even know where to start. Just lift that before God. He'll he'll teach you. He'll instruct you. There are some opportunities to pay attention to things in North Chicago that you'll see in the back of the lobby today. You want to have some fun fellowship time out in the lobby? 
just tell somebody other than your spouse because they could tell you 15 things other than that. Just tell somebody other than your spouse what you're poor at. Just confess that. Something great about confession, right? So that's from 30,000 feet. We'll go back to the deep dive in a couple of weeks when Mike gets back here. So let's pray. God, um, for your grace and for your mercy, you are a God of order. You are a God who wants us to be wholehearted in our love of you. You are a God who gives people like Zechariah and us second chances when we come with a caustic nature. You restore the brokenhearted like Elizabeth, Father, and you you use people like Mary, the um, unknown, the uncommon, uh, the unknown for the uncommon. Uh, so thank you, God, for that illustration. Father, um, that you sent Jesus for us and that he is the great reconciler of not only our sin, but also our shame. We thank you and we give you glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.